Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Kendrick Lamar performs Sunday at the Super Bowl halftime show alongside Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, and Eminem. In 2020, I broke down Lamar's biography, The Butterfly Effect, with author Marcus J. Moore. My former WTOP colleague, who is now hip-hop director at Vinyl Me Please and music journalist for the New York Times. Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you. Um, now, obviously, we are here talking about your brand new book, The Butterfly Effect, <laughs> How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. It just came out this morning as, you know, the day of we're recording this. So, wow, man. Um, first of all, congrats on, you know, publishing. It is your first book. So let's start there. You know, how did the spark for this come about you know you're were you working at top at the time listening to a bunch of music but what made you say aha you know this aha this is the one i'm writing about it was it was after top it was um it was in 2017 i think it was like the fall of 2017 i was working at Bandcamp full-time as a senior editor one of their senior editors and uh it was just a random day i was walking to lunch i was walking down franklin avenue and when i walk i always play music uh, on these same headphones. And so I was listening to To Pimper Butterfly and I've always been a big fan of the album, like a lot of people. But for whatever reason on this day, I was just like, man, there's something in here. There's, there's a book in here. And, and I've always been a sucker for fly on the wall narratives. So I've always been a sucker for like, you know, these talker pieces about like, okay, how did, how did Thundercat come into the room? How, how did Robert Glasper get there? Terrace and Anna Wise and all these people. And so, you know, I couldn't shake the thought. Um, it was one of those where it, it, it wasn't a situation where when I was uh, thinking about it and when I was playing the record that I went home that day and started messing with the book proposal. I was trying to shake it because at the time I was like, man, ain't nobody trying to read a book for me. Like, I, you know, let me just keep writing my reviews and features and whatnot. But it was still at top of mind. And so I reached out to a good buddy of mine who's a, you know, world famous author. I reached out to a senior editor at the time, Simon Schuster. And, um, you know, long story short, I, I met with my agent and we came up with the idea um, over coffee. Because at first I was just gonna write a book about September Butterfly. And Will, my agent was actually like, no, let's broaden it out. And let's write about, it's coming up. Let's write about section 80, good kid and everything. So that's how the idea came about. And, and um, I started writing a proposal in early 2018. And we locked in the deal March 2018. And uh, two years later, it's out. It's out today. It's in stores. You know, <laughs> it's, it's in your house like you just showed. So, <laughs> yeah. 
It's it's so it's just so cool. Well, I mean, I wanna I wanna try to you know I I read read the book just finished the other day and and like I was telling you before we hopped on here, it's a fast read, but I I really liked how you sort of you take it's not just the music you take us through his entire life. So I want to try to hit some of those highlights in this interview, but but leave a you know you got to read the book, everybody. It's just a little teaser here, but yeah. <laughs> um, so let's move a little chronologically if we can. So um, take me back to, you know, tell our listeners, you know, maybe that some might not be as familiar. Maybe this is like their first intro to Kendrick, you know, talk about his upbringing and how growing up in Compton was, was very, you know, inspired basically everything else he did um, from navigating, you know, with his friends, navigating some of the local gang life and and his early poetry teacher you, you write about in there how the how he formed a, a pretty early bond with him yeah yeah he um that's the thing that i wanted to that i wanted to say in the book is that you know even though we know kendrick lamar now is like this uh rat messiah what have you um he was just a regular kid you know he wasn't like he didn't do all the talent shows he didn't do anything super spectacular like you just pointed out, in seventh grade, he um, had a creative writing class, and his teacher, Mr. Inge, brought create he brought poetry into the classroom and sort of diffused the tension that was happening outside in L.A. At the time, there was um, there was a rivalry between um, blacks and Latinos in a local county jail, and that spilled over into the school system where the kids were feeling the same sort of tensions. And uh, so Mr. Inge decided like, man, I need something to sort of break this down. And he decided to introduce poetry because uh, I know, you know, you've been in seventh grade before I've been in seventh grade. I, you, you think you think poetry is sort of this, uh, it's not a thing that, it, it's not a thing you think about when you're in seventh grade. And so it, it caught all of the students off guard. Um, but Kendrick, it, it it inspired Kendrick to, sort of get into ways to express his emotions, express his anxieties. Um, so yeah, he, he came up that way. And when, once he decided that creative writing was the thing, he just went all in on it. He just went all in and he didn't care about anything else. Yeah, he got good grades, but he just wanted to write raps. He wanted to write poems. Um, and so that's really what it was about. That's really what the book is about. It's. Um, it wasn't necessarily just writing about like Kendrick as this great, you know, uh, hip hop artist, this great musician. It was about how he got there. And it was about, you know, me wanting to write a, write a book where 10 years from now, 15 years from now, maybe the next Kendrick Lamar reads it. And they're like, oh, um, I too can be, you know, I can be Kendrick if I just work hard. Yeah. Right. So that's what I wanted to get into with that. For sure. And then so from there, tell us about the emergence of K-Dot. That's sort of his early, um, his early name. It's a little, a little more fiery, let's say, back then. Um, but tell, tell us how, how he got in with Top Dog Entertainment, Dave Free, um, Anthony Tiffith, I think is his name, but he calls him Tiff in the book. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about how, how, you know, he got in with TDE and, and it's sort of that early persona of his. Oh, he was brought into it. Um, a lot of people don't know, like when we think TDE today, right? We think we think Top Dog, we think Kendrick. Um, but a lot of people don't know the top, that um, TDE was really Top Dog and J-Rock. So the way TDE started was, um, you know, uh, Top Dog had an uncle who was in the music business. 
And um, Top Dog wanted to go legit, so to speak. You know, he he was tired of kind of running around doing what he was doing, and he doesn't shy away from that history. So don't, I'm not talking out of turn. Um, so you know, he finds J Rock. Him and J Rocker, you know, collaborating in the studio. Um, then he finds uh, a producer, Soundwave, who um, was a friend of uh, Top Dog's cousin Punch. So Soundwave is an in-house producer. He does a showcase. Soundwave does a showcase. And um, at the showcase is this kid who just can't stop rapping. Like, he's just rapping over everything. And they introduce themselves. And Soundwave was like, hey, you know, what, what's your name? What do you go by? And uh, he was like, oh, I, I go by K-Dot. And so that's where it was. So, so then, you know, it was a chance encounter. And they thought that was it. Maybe a few months later, Soundwave goes over to... Um, he goes over to Top Dog Studio and he sees Kendrick sitting on the couch. And he's like, oh, no. And then that's when Soundwave tells Top, like, no, you got to keep this kid. This kid is something serious. If we give him the right music, he's going to be something else. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when it started. I want to say that was, uh, God, I, I turned this book in a while ago, so I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I want to say it was, it was early, it was the mid-2000s. It was definitely the mid-2000s. And so that's what the K-Dot era was. And, K- and the K-Dot era was him just wanting to just rap. You know, it wasn't him um, talking about real life issues. It was him just liter- literally taking, he wanted to be Jay-Z. So he was taking Jay-Z beats, he was taking Lil Wayne beats, and he was just rapping on that stuff. And even by his own admission, those K-Dot mixtapes were not great. And uh, <laughs> and that's the thing, like even researching the book and I went back and I listened and I was like, this, this isn't it. So, um, <laughs> That's uh, so that that's how you know the K dot era started. That's how TDE started. It was literally on the back of J Rock, but but Kendrick had something special, and even J Rock acknowledged that. Like, no, let's you know that's the dude right there, and um, and it went from there. You know, from there, uh, Schoolboy Q come. No, excuse me. From there, Ab Rock, Ab Soul comes in, then um, Schoolboy Q, Terrace Martin comes in, and they just they organically build this collective that sort of uh, springboarded into something bigger. For sure. And you meant, you're mentioning how you know, those early mixtapes weren't necessarily the best stuff. No. But, it all, you know, it's them all, it's the, them fig- figuring himself out, really. You know, you, you got to, he's just beating on the craft and throwing stuff out. But then comes along, you know, his first actual, you know, let's say major release album, which, which is Good Kid, Mad City, which well, as soon as I read that, I, rem- I can remember back to T.O.P., you first talking about it. And, uh, but what? What do you do you think? I mean, I know the book's called Butterfly Effect, and we'll get to, to Pimp Butterfly in a second. But do you think Good Kid, Mad City is his? Like, was that? I mean, a lot of people maybe not might not realize that it, that was a masterpiece too. I mean, do you really think that was his? You know, it caught everyone by storm. Yeah, no, totally. I still have friends who say Good Kid is his best work, and I, and I get it. I totally understand. Like it. With him, I feel like it's it's a matter of preference because every project is so different. Um, and that way, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, when Common was doing his thing, uh, first doing his thing in the 90s and the 2000s, where every project was so different. You know, The Roots, the same thing, Outkast, where, uh, you know, AT Alien sounds nothing like Equimini and, and Stankonia and all of that. So uh, to answer your question, man, I, I do feel like, Yes, Good Kid, Mad City is, is totally a masterpiece. It's, it's, uh, it's a story that he told that he was ramping up to tell long before it ever came out. 
you know, I noticed in interviews that uh, he was ramping up to do that, even as he was putting out uh, Overly Dedicated, um, the Kendrick Lamar EP, every interview was, yeah, this is just a teaser to Good Kid, Mad City. He had the title, he had the album cover, he had everything. So I think it's a masterpiece because you, he's telling a story, but it's a story that doesn't get old. And the fact that he's, um, he's incredibly honest and vulnerable on that record, you know, that's how you find out, you know, the first time he um, hooks up with Shireen, you know, in quotes. And then you have like, um, you know, the first time he, um, he discovers that his, his friends are doing stuff that maybe he doesn't want to get into. Uh-huh. And so that's a lot of his story as well. It's like, um, even though, even, you know, he is a good kid in a mad city and he has friends that look out for him because they recognize that he has a gift that the world needs to hear and, they, and, and, that, and that he needs to share. And so, yeah, you can hang out, but when we're going to go over here and do whatever we're going to do, you, you should go over here and write your little raps or whatever because, you know, this is something you don't need to be involved with. Right, and even the uh, there's the touching story. I can't remind me what song it was in, which track, but the the story where it's like a, the a little bit of a gospel theme come in a little bit there, where it's like the elderly woman in the neighborhood pulls him aside oh, yeah. and, and stops him from getting involved in something. Tell our listeners about that. Oh yeah, sing about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the most um, that's the most epic track on that album, and it's a great. It has epic tracks all throughout. But I feel like that's the, the pivotal moment. That's when, honestly, I think that's when, when K-Dot became Kendrick. You know, obviously he had, he had been uh, recording under his given name before then. But that's the moment when sort of religion takes over and he realizes that, hey, I need to, I need to shift into something more positive. And so, yeah, the, the story, the, the song tells a story of um, his friends getting killed, you know, friends of friends getting killed. And naturally, when somebody close to you, you know, gets killed, you would think like, yo, you're your first daughter's retaliation. And that was their first thought, him and his friends. That was their first thought. But they literally bump into somebody on the street who offers a prayer right then and there, and it sets them straight. Um, so I think that's a, that's a pivotal, not only is it a pivotal song, but it's a pivotal moment in his life. Mm-hmm. And one that I think he would even admit that if it wasn't for her, it could have been something totally different. And I, I think it's, it's fascinating because he has the same story on his next album. And, it, and I don't know, maybe it's just music nerd stuff, but it, it's almost, the song is almost placed in the exact same position as it is on Good Kid, Mad City. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the story that I tried to unpack in great detail uh, in the book. I'm sure that placement's not an accident, you know, it's, it's artist stuff. Maybe other artists, we could say it's a coincidence, but not for Kendrick. That's a, that's a thought out through line. It has to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you're, what we're talking about is, um, is, is the, the one song on Pimp a Butterfly where he encounters the, the homeless, homeless guy yeah. who, who winds up being, um, a ref, if, if not exactly God, a, a reflection of God, let's say, you know, so it's mm-hmm. kind of woven in there. Well, let's get into it to Pimp a Butter. And actually, wasn't that Barack Obama's favorite song of the year? Yeah. The second yeah. One. Barack, yeah. Barack shouted it out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into Pimp a Butterfly because clearly that's the ti- perfect title, by the way. You just you, you just figured out a good <laughs> it's all in the name, but that's perfect. Um, 
So to Pimp a Butterfly, what, what maybe a lot of listeners might not know, they might be familiar with the songs because that sort of, you know, that one blew up and everyone knew that all those songs. But talk about how what they might not know is how was, a lot of it was inspired by his trip to Africa. You know, he went over there. He had done Good Kid, Mad City was, you know, that was his I'm going to this is how I grew up, grew up in Compton. I'm telling all those stories. He's a little more famous at this point, doing it. You even mentioned Chappelle there. He goes off and has sort of his little, I guess, a little quest. He goes in Mandela's cell, all, all of that. Um, talk about how that really inspired um, Butterfly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he, uh, he already had, I think uh, he had like three albums worth of songs done by the time he went to South Africa. And so it was going to be something totally different. But then he goes there and he went, he goes there for a tour. Uh, I think it was three shows in South Africa in 2014. And he spends time there. So he's not just in the, the tourist areas. He's going to like all parts of South Africa. And it made him realize that um, his view needs to be bigger than Compton. You know, because when you're living in a place, you think that the world is that place. But it's not until you start traveling domestically, internationally, did you realize, oh, everybody has different issues and they have different problems. And so for him, especially in Compton, you know, he grew up in heavy gangbang culture. Um, and, and, you know, that's desperate enough. But then when you go to like certain townships and you realize that what you thought was, you know, the projects is not the projects at all. Like go here. They don't even have running water, stuff like that. Right. So he, he's taking all that stuff in along with um, the creative stimuli and he realizes that he needs to do something different he needs to do something that is at the root of black music overall you know it needs to be something that has like the roots of funk in it and jazz and and, and soul um, and you know he wasn't doing that before you know the music that he had before had like all these boomy 808 drums on it and all of that and so he decides to totally shift course and that's how September Butterfly comes comes about. And at the same time that they're creating it, um, which is also another theme woven throughout the book, it's, you know, especially with the advent of social media, you almost every day you could see unarmed black men and women being killed by police every day. And um, so he's taking all that stuff in along with going back to Compton and all the heavy gangbang culture. And it all kind of, and he's dealing with, you know, the trappings of fame. He's dealing with, um, anxiety, he's dealing with depression, survivor's guilt. He puts all of that into the project and comes out with this really, really dense um, collection of music that I feel like people are still trying to figure out. You know, you get something different from it every time and it's been out for five years, so. And do you, to this, to this day, think that he was robbed for, for album of the year that year? <laughs> oh, oh, you mean uh, Good Kid? Or are you talking about um, Supreme Butterfly? Well, either either yeah kind of you mentioned both grammys in the book yeah i did yeah no 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 he he did he did and i feel like um uh that's the one that should have got the pulitzer to be honest yeah that's what, what was that was that a, it was adele was that adele that beat butterfly i think adele beat um oh lemonade Adele beat lemonade that's what yeah it was. yeah yeah 2016 yeah right. well the idea of beat is, you know, and, and what won, you know, history, who cares? You know, even with the Oscars, it's like the, the right one only wins like half the time. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kendrick's getting the last laugh on a lot of that. But uh, there was a, 
I really like in Butterfly how you go into a lot of, you know, how it was different than a lot of albums mu musically, like how there was a lot of jazz behind it. And a lot of these different, you know, in jazz instrumentalists would go on to do other projects. And what was really cool was I didn't realize, um, remind me the specifics, but what a piece of Butterfly was recorded in the DC area in Landover. There's like a little. Oh, there. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I knew that at the time. Um uh it was in Hydesville actually it was at the studio it was um I could talk about it now since it's out but like my man Yudu Gray used to run house studio in uh in Hydesville and like this you know it, it was like in the cut you couldn't find it <laughs> I would always have to call like how do you what, where do I make the right but it was over there and um it, it he Yudu always tells a story about how he gets a random message from Ninth Wonder and he's like, hey, me and Rhapsody are in town. We need to record this verse. I can't tell you what it's for, but I just need the studio at this time. I can't have nobody there. Um, and so it happens. It was like late at night. And that's when Rhapsody is in Hyattsville and she records her verse for Complexion. Uh, and that was all, yeah, my friend. Because uh, I, I wrote a story for the Washington Post magazine about you two. And um, yeah, that was, just, that was the story that led the, that led the articles. The fact that it was like this you know, super, you know, uh, this super secret uh, location and no one could talk about it. But that's, that's how, um, yeah, my friend Yudu actually has, um, I think, a, a platinum plaque on his wall because he was a part, technically he was a part of Tip and Butterfly. That's so cool. I love his local angle. It just like jumped out of the, off the page of me. I was like, whoa, no way. Um, yeah. well, you, mentioned, you mentioned, let's go to the this next album, Damn. Uh, you mentioned that you thought um, Butterfly should have been the one that won the Pulitzer, but Damn was the one that did win the Pulitzer. Um, also, I mean, worthy of it too, right? It's At this point, like, like these awards go sometimes, sometimes it takes the critical community to catch up and it's almost like you're honoring the body of work. But talk about how Damn itself was, was worthwhile too. It was worthwhile because... People, well, I'm not going to, I can't speak for people, but me specifically, right. I didn't realize how complex it was until I dug into it. Because when you listen to it, just in the background, you just feel like, oh, okay, this is, this is his like club record. You know, this is him um, talking about issues, but the beats are really big and the drums are really hard and stuff like that. But you don't realize until you dig into it that he's talking about some very um, deep issues. He's talking, and it's equally as deep as to Pimper Butterfly. The only thing that puts the butterfly over is the fact that you also have the spoken word, you also have the jazz, you also have like live instrumentation on it. Right. Whereas with Dam, he's talking about like, he's going real heavy on religion and how he's conflicted with his faith. Like, and, and I can't take credit for this, like um, a good buddy of mine has always maintained that Kendrick is like the best Christian rapper of all time. It's God's and I never thought, this hip hop. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't, I didn't realize that until I listened to Damn. I was like, oh yeah, li literally, like from Damn to Butterfly to, to all the way back. He's talking about his faith. He's talking about issues with going to church and and believing in man and all this other stuff. So Damn is just that. Damn is just literally just a diary. It's just him opening up the book, talking about everything. You know, it's a kitchen sink record in that way where. It, one song may be talking about fear. The next one's talking about faith. This one's talking about um, how he's becoming more and more isolated because now he is Kendrick Lamar in all caps. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, I think Damn is one of those records where you got to be in the mood for it. 
because me personally, I'm such a jazz head that I always, I'm going to go for the drums and the trumpets, but damn is equally viable as well. Yeah. And to your point, it, it dropped on a good Friday and I yeah. you had that little anecdote where you thought a lot of fans might thought there might be a double disc on Easter Sunday. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. That was funny. That was a isn't funny that a, Isn't that enough? Kendrick's like, come on, man, I just gave you an album. Do you need, I need two? No. That would have been tight if he yeah. did that though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he was, he was a little busy because he was simul he was working on another little project called the Black Panther soundtrack. Oh, that. Yes. <laughs> just a little something. I mean, you don't go into too much of it in, in the book because it sort of happened towards, I'm sure you're already starting to write the book and stuff at this point, but talk about just real, real quick, you know, how, you know, in light, you know, in light of Chadwick Boseman's passing too, just how, how earth shattering that, not only that movie with Wakanda and all the visual stuff and the acting, but how, how Kendrick Lamar's, you know, contribution to it, how that soundtrack with, you know, and SZA and at the stars and just all of that, how, he could have he could have freaking won an Oscar for this. He could be starting to get to EGOT territory. He didn't win, but um, you know, it's just talk about how how that movie and that soundtrack coming off of his trip to Africa too. Just how it's such a mo seismic moment in society. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those where uh, it was the first time, um, especially black kids, black boys, got to see someone who looks like them as a hero. Uh, you know, especially it came out at a time when. You know, America didn't see us that way, you know, and they still don't see us that way where you you can hop on the phone and just see all this despair all the time. So, yeah, Black Panther was a moment, man. I still remember that. I still remember the night of like, I'm like, no, I'm a go I'm going to see it. And we went to see it. My wife and I went to see it in Brooklyn and down at BAM. And it was it was like the line was down all the way down, like Fulton, not Fulton. It was all the way down the street and you had uh you know people in outfits and stuff like that it was crazy but as far as Kendrick's involvement it only made a bigger project even bigger and, and, and I think the long-lasting impact of that project to me I'm always looking out for the quote-unquote underground so the fact that on that record you had some of South Africa's most viable musicians I think that's what was more important because it was putting them on another plateau and I even I go into that in chapter two where it's just like okay you can black rock was all, already tight but her placement on that put her on another plane because in South Africa art isn't really it isn't as valued as it is maybe in West Africa you know because South Africa is still dealing with some very strong uh, racism down there so if you're an artist talking about something conscious you always have to you, you have to be cognizant of ruffling the wrong feathers and so that platform helped her out and helped out everybody on that record and so that's what I always think of when I think of that but at the same time I, if I got to be honest like as, as viable as that project is you know every time an artist comes out with the oh this is my Africa project they always <laughs> they always go to the south and they go to the west right and so this is the moment where I gotta I gotta cape for East Africa a little bit. It's like go there, go north. You know, you ha you have to bring in the entire continent if you're gonna say, oh, this is my Africa project. You know, you you gotta you gotta tap into all sources. And so I feel like that's the one shortcoming of that project is that it's just all mostly south, maybe a little west, but mostly south. Right. Gotcha. Well. 
what I, before we run for sure, I want to, um, I want to commend you for so much of the book. You know, when I picked it up, I told you before we got on here, but I picked it up. I thought it was going to be exactly what we've been talking about, breaking down the lyrics, breaking down the music. But I was pleasantly surprised um, to see how much you would, you would take moments and weave the, a social context or a political context of what was going on in the country at the time. And I just thought it was so important for readers that maybe, you know, might be interested in Kendrick's music, but then to also, you know, get, get your, get your education a little bit on what was going on around it at the time. You take a, a minute and talk about Watts, you take a minute and you talk about um, Rodney King. Um, and then of course the main thing that jumps out from the book is what we're still dealing with today. You go in depth on, um, how Black Lives Matter started Trayvon Martin, Oscar Grant, Freddie Gray, um, uh, Eric Garner, Michael Brown. I mean, it, it, you you go into depth on each of these cases, and it's almost like he spent he's spending three pages on this, and then a, an acquittal, three more pages, and acquittal, and it becomes this accumulative thing when you keep giving us all these acquittals, acquittals, and yeah. it almost it makes you tear up just thinking about it. So, um, talk about why that was so important, and also, you know, your your um, attribution in the beginning. You dedicate tell us who you dedicated to. Yeah, man, I, I dedicated the book to Breonna Taylor, to Ahmaud Arbery, and to George Floyd, and countless others. You know, because that's the sad part. Like, even as I, I had to go back and redo the dedication. You know, the first two people, the first two things um, that were dedicated. You know, whether it was to Prince George's County and to folks in my family who have passed. Like, uh, that was already done. But then June happened. And, you know, all of this stuff was going on at the same time. So I had to actually go back and I still was afraid that like, man, I'm going to miss a name, you know? So that was, the, that's the sad part when I was writing it. Like, am I catching everybody? Right. Because it was important to tell the whole story, even though chat, I feel like, and you, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here uh, because you've read it more recently than me, but I feel like the, the book shifts and hits a different tempo at five, at chapter five. Because mm -hmm. that's when it gets into, you know, I'm talking to Tamir Rice's mom. I'm talking to Mike Brown's dad. Right. And um, you interviewed that, them too. I talked to them. Yeah, they were really, they were really, really open and receptive. And they were stronger than me. Like, I preparing for those interviews was tough because I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. And they were strong. They were like, no, this is history that needs to be told. I'm gonna tell the whole story. And they were running through what happened. It was just like, man, this is crazy. So um, yeah, that's what I wanted to do with that chapter is I didn't, as much as I hope people can dig it today, I wrote it for next decade and a decade after that. And I wrote it for, you know, the, the inevitable day when I'm walking down the street and I see an old beat up copy of it on a stoop and then somebody picks it up. And then they get the history, you know, so I wrote it for that. Um, so that's why I went into painstaking detail because I didn't want to give anybody short shrift. If I'm going to tell the story of Trayvon, I want to tell the whole story. Yep. If I'm talking about Sandra Bland, I'm telling the whole story because as difficult as it is to read now and as tough as it was to write, I, I couldn't, I didn't want somebody to pick it up now or years later and be like, Oh, you just kind of touched on it. Like, no, it's, it's important history and we need to know. And it also is important to Kendrick's history because he's taken all this stuff in 
And as a result, Black of the Berry comes out and All Right comes out. So it's all a part of his narrative, but it's all a part of American history as well. Because as, as you know, for the most part, people don't want to talk about that. They only want to talk about the good stuff. Right. No, this is a part of history as well. This is part of the fabric. And so that's why I decided to spend like 10,000 words on that. I, it's, a, it's a smart, important choice on your part. You know, everyone has artistic choice. And that, that just shouted from me is, I mean, that is the, it's one of the stories of, of any artist going on. And, you know, we wouldn't mention Black Panther that Ryan Coogler started with Fruitvale Station. Like, you know, it is the thing that culture needs to capture right now. And your book is sort of like you're saying, to pick it up on the stoop, it's going to be, you sort of time capsuled it for us. You know what I mean? In, in yeah. all heartbreaking ways. Um, so thank you for doing that, especially as it, as it continues going on and we approach an election and you kind of touch on those political figures as well in the book. And it's, yeah, it's powerful stuff. Well, let's end, let's end on a positive note if we can. Um, I was reading, uh, because I'm so proud, you know, I'm just, I'm so happy for you, man. It's so great. Thank um, you, man. There's a, and I'll read a little section here. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, there's a part where you're talking about Kendrick, but I, I'm, I'm thinking there's some Marcus Moore coming out in, in your journey moving to Brooklyn and all that stuff. Uh, page 120. Whether you were a teenager in Compton or a young adult from Landover, Maryland, good kid, uh, Mad City, forced you to think about your own upbringing of hot summer days, riding shotgun in your friend's car, going nowhere in particular. The album felt like basketball at the park on rusty goals with chains dangling from the rim. The spiritual richness, richness of your grandma's old hymnals, the humidity so thick you can almost see it. It evoked barbershop combos, the feel of shabby concrete beneath your fresh Nike sneakers, and the taste of fried chicken wings fresh out of the grease. It was a record for the hood for black and brown kids with big dreams and little resources who loved their environment but knew they couldn't thrive there. It was about the unconditional love between Kendrick and his friends, Kendrick and his neighborhood, Kendrick and his parents, and how ultimately he'd have to leave the city but it would never leave him. Was there a little bit of Marcus um, in terms of, uh, you know, working at T.O.P., but maybe have to leave our home to be able to go do big things at Bandcamp? <laughs> Hey, look, man, if I'm being honest, it, yeah, that was totally me. That was, that was totally me. Like, I mean, that was a day giveaway. Anybody who knows me knows I shout out Landover any chance I get. So um, I even dedicated, you know, the book to Landover. So, um, yeah, that was me, man. That was me. I, I feel, I've always felt like, uh, you know, D.C. and Maryland is always home. But, uh, you know, Bandcamp is, is where... I was given the green light to, to do what I do naturally. And that's not to diminish anything in DC, you know, because even when I was at TOP, I, I was, uh, you know, still writing a pitchfork. I was covering concerts for the Post and all, and that's all great. And that's, and matter of fact, I'm coming back to DC uh, sooner than later. Um, but I think Bandcamp is where it's like all the nerdy stuff that I like that I feel like, yo, you need to hear this record they just give me a green light, you know, and it was an, it was an opportunity to, to build something from the ground up. So yeah, that, that was totally me. That was, uh, that was me thinking back to like, man, you know, playing basketball and Landover and, you know, growing up on all the gospel and all the stuff that uh, my family played, you know, cause they played everything. Like my aunt one day would be playing Sade and Anita Baker. And then my, my cousin Eric was a DJ so he's coming in the house with all the new EPMD and Tribe Called Quest and all this. 
um, and I'm watching MTV literally all day, every day. So uh, yeah, that was, that was totally me. So that was me saying like, man, look, you're not a journalist here. This is your thing. You need to put yourself in there. And thankfully it worked out, you know, my editor didn't strike it out. And that's also an important thing I wanted to uh, pull up real quick. The way you're reading the book is the way I wrote it. Um, oh, there was did no, you move around? No, oh, no, wow. no, no, no. When, when I got it back, when I got it back, and my editor is serious. He's a serious dude. So it's not like he would be like, you know, just, just let me go off or whatever. No, it was all like copy edits. It was all copy edits. Everything, the way you're reading it is the way I wrote it in Kenya, wow. for sure. Yep. So you penned most of it in when you were visiting Kenya? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, we, we spend time. We have a place there, too. So we, your, wife, we, your wife took a position over there? No, she started a business. She started a business. Yeah, it's called Live Africa. So we're like, well, you got to live in Africa. <laughs> we got, you know, that's her. I can't take credit for that, you know, because uh, as you know, like, and we've hung out here before. It's like New York is kind of my vibe in terms of going to jazz clubs and all of that, going to cafes. Um, but yeah, 60% of the book, I would say, I would guess about 60% of the book was written in Nairobi. Wow, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's great, man. That's yeah, awesome. dude. Well, any... Um, any good, uh, any good feedback so far? Um, do you, is, do you think, I guess let's, let's end on this. Yeah. Do you think Kendrick, what do you think, what do you want Kendrick to get from it? If he picks it up, do you think he's, you think you'll be getting a call from the man himself? That's a great question. <laughs> I, well, I will say this. I've been trying to get it there, <laughs> but they're, they're in uh, album mode. Sure. And, and, and they're, when they're in album mode, they're like, you know, they lock into the fortress. They don't take in any social media. They don't take in any other stimuli. They're just creating records. And so that's what they're doing right now. But the feedback so far has been like beyond anything I could have imagined because you know how it is as a creator and as a writer, it's just you and the laptop. And you don't even know like, man, I just hope people can get something out of it. But more more people than not are like really into it. And last night I had a web, a live webinar with, um, it was Robert Glasper and Terrace Martin. And Terrace was a huge part, is a huge part of TDE and was a huge part of Tupper Butterfly. Mm -hmm. He was all in, he was like, man, dude, we need this and it, we need to celebrate and yada yada. So I think so far he's been the biggest cosign that's closest to TDE. I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to get it. They're going to read it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hopefully I hear from them. If not, you know, I just hope they uh, see the light. I hope they see the positivity in it because I can also understand the apprehension uh, because it's the first book on him ever. Sure. And anytime, you know, you're still locked in, you're still creating, you still don't think you've made the thing yet, your project yet. It's going to be kind of weird when some stranger from another coast is reaching out like, hey, I'm writing a book about you. You know, so I get it. I, and it's no love lost. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, sir, you like you said, it's the first biography of, you know, that takes on his life. So you're forever tied with him, sir. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> the butterfly effect. Get it now. It's called How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. I assume it's in stores, but during, you know, in this crazy pandemic year of hell, um, just ordering online, maybe a Christmas gift, all that good stuff. So thanks so much, man. I, it's great catching up with you. You know, I've always been a big fan. So. Oh, likewise, man. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.
All right. Talk to you soon. All right, bud. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.